Hello, my name is Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy, a podcast to help you fall asleep. So, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and settle in, and get ready for tonight's story, The Haunted Mind, by Nathaniel Hawthorne. If you've listened to the show before, then you know I did another story by Hawthorne called Footprints on the Seashore. I love the way that Hawthorne writes, and his descriptive nature is fun to read and fun to read out loud. The Haunted Mind is a short story that was first published in the Token and Atlantic Souvenir in 1835, and then was included in Volume 2 of Twice Told Tales, where Footprints on the Seashore is as well. Twice Told Tales is a collection of short stories, and much of Hawthorne's writing centers on New England. Many of his works, in fact almost all of them, feature moral metaphors, but have that anti-Puritan inspiration. The Scarlet Letter is a good example. His fiction works are considered part of the Romantic movement, specifically dark Romanticism. And a lot of times the themes that run through his stories are based on inherent evil and the sin of humanity. Moral messaging and deep psychological complexity. However... I've been experiencing waking up in the middle of the night, sort of randomly, at 3.33. As I was lying there at 3 o'clock in the morning for the past week, it's so frustrating not being able to sleep. That's why I'm hoping that the podcast is helping you. But I thought of this story and was like, oh, I need to do that. In The Haunted Mind... Hawthorne is describing the space between sleeping and waking. And the story begins with the character waking up in the middle of the night. Those of you that do have trouble sleeping or you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, in a lot of ways, if you can't get right back to sleep, it just serves a big old wrench in your day, right? You can always listen to Fairy Sleepy to help you go back to sleep. But trust me, I'm there with you. I have trouble sleeping. And so I thought that this might help. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, come on back and experience the haunted mind. I know I will be. I'm right there with you. So I hope it makes you very, very sleepy and that you do sleep through the night. The Haunted Mind by Nathaniel Hawthorne What a singular moment is the first one when you have hardly begun to recollect yourself after starting from midnight slumber. By unclosing your eyes so suddenly, you seem to have surprised the personages of your dream in full convocation around your bed and catch one broad glance at them before they can flit into obscurity. Or, to vary the metaphor, you find yourself for a single instant wide awake in that realm of illusions whither sleep has been the passport 
and behold its ghostly inhabitants and wondrous scenery with a perception of their strangeness, such as you never attain while the dream is undisturbed. The distant sound of a clock is borne faintly on the wind. You question with yourself half seriously whether it has stolen to your waking ear from some gray tower that stood within the precincts of your dream, while yet in suspense another clock flings its heavy clang over the slumbering town with so full and distinct a sound and such a long murmur in the neighboring air that you are certain it must proceed from the steeple at the nearest corner. You count the strokes, one, two, and there they cease with a booming sound like the gathering of a third stroke within the bell. If you could choose an hour of wakefulness out of the entire night, it would be this, since your sober bedtime at eleven, you have had rest enough to take off the pressure of yesterday's fatigue. While before you till, the sun comes from, to brighten your window, there is almost the space of a summer night. One hour to be spent in thought with the mind's eye half shut, and two in pleasant dreams, and two in that strangest of enjoyments, the forgetfulness alike of joy and woe. The moment of rising belongs to another period of time, and appears so distant that the plunge out of a warm bed into the frosty air cannot yet be anticipated with dismay. Yesterday has already vanished among the shadows of the past. Tomorrow has not yet emerged from the future. You have found an intermediate space where the business of life does not intrude, where the passing moment lingers and becomes truly the present, a spot where Father Time, when he thinks nobody is watching him, sits down by the wayside to take a breath. Oh, that he would fall asleep and let mortals live on without growing older. Hitherto you have lain perfectly still, because the slightest motion would dissipate the fragments of your slumber. Now, being irrevocably awake, you peep through the half-drawn window curtain and observe that the glass is ornamented with fanciful devices in frost work, and that each pane presents something like a frozen dream. There will be time enough to trace out the analogy while waiting the summons to breakfast. Seen through the clear portion of the glass where the silvery mountain peaks of the frost scenery do not ascend, the most conspicuous object is the steeple, the white spire of which directs you to the wintry luster of the firmament. You may also almost distinguish the figures on the clock that has just told the hour, such a frosty sky and the snow-covered roofs and the long vista of the frozen street all white and the distant water hardened into rock might make you shiver even under four blankets and a woolen comforter. Yet look at that one glorious star. Its beams are distinguishable from all the rest and actually 
cast the shadow of the casement on the bed, with a radiance of deeper hue than moonlight, though not so accurate an outline. You sink down and muffle your head in the clothes, shivering all the while, but less from bodily chill than the bare idea of a polar atmosphere. It is too cold, even for the thoughts to venture abroad. You speculate on the luxury of wearing out a whole existence in bed, like an oyster in its shell, content with the sluggish ecstasy of inaction, and drowsily conscious of nothing but delicious warmth, such as you feel now again. Ah, that idea has brought a hideous one on its train. You think how the dead are lying in their cold shrouds and narrow coffins through the dreary winter of the grave and cannot persuade your fancy that they neither shrink nor shiver when the snow is drifting over their little hillocks and the bitter blast howls against the door of the tomb. That gloomy thought will collect a gloomy multitude and throw its complexion over your wakeful hour. In the depths of every heart, there is a tomb and a dungeon. Through the lights, the music and revelry above may cause us to forget their existence, and the buried ones are prisoners whom they hide. But sometimes, and oftenest at midnight, those dark receptacles are flung wide open. In an hour like this, when the mind has a passive sensibility, but no active strength, when the imagination is a mirror imparting vividness to all ideas without the power of selecting or controlling them, then pray that your griefs may slumber and the brotherhood of remorse not break their chain. It is too late. A train comes gliding by your bed in which passion and feeling assume bodily shape and things of the mind become dim specters to the eye. There is your earliest sorrow, a pale young mourner wearing a sister's likeness to first love, sadly beautiful with a hollowed sweetness in her melancholy features and grace in the flow of her sable robe. Next appears a shade of ruined loveliness with dust among her golden hair and her bright garments are faded, stealing from your glance with drooping head as fearful of reproach. She was your fondest hope, but a delusive one, so call her disappointment now. A sterner form succeeds with a brow of wrinkles, a look and gesture of iron authority. There is no name for him, unless it be fatality, an emblem of the evil influence that rules your fortunes, a demon to whom you subjected yourself by some error at the outset of life, and were bound forever by once obeying that. See those fiendish lineaments graven on the darkness, the wreathed lip of scorn, the mockery of that living eye, the pointed finger touching the sore place in your heart. Do you remember any act of enormous folly at which you would blush even in the remotest cavern of the earth? 
then recognize it. Pass, wretched band, well for the wakeful one, if riotously miserable, a fiercer tribe do not surround him. The devils of a guilty heart that holds its hell within itself. What if remorse should assume the features of an injured friend? What if the fiend should come in women's garments with a pale beauty amid sin and desolation and lie down by your side? Sufficient without such guilt is this nightmare of the soul, this heavy, heavy sinking of the spirits, this wintry gloom about the heart, this indistinct horror of the mind blending itself with the darkness of the chamber. By a desperate effort, you start upright, breaking from a sort of conscious sleep and gazing wildly round the bed as if the fiends were anywhere but in your mind. At the same moment, the slumbering embers of the hearth send forth a gleam which palely illuminates the whole outer room and flickers through the door of the bedchamber, but cannot quite dispel its obscurity. Your eye searches for whatever may remind you of the living world. With eager minuteness, you take note of the table near the fireplace, the book with the ivory knife between its leaves, the unfolded letter, the hat, and the fallen glove. Soon the flame vanishes, and with it the whole scene is gone, though its image remains an instant in your mind's eye when darkness has swallowed the reality. Throughout the chamber there is the same obscurity as before, but not the same gloom within your chest. As your head falls back upon the pillow, you think, in a whisper be it spoken, how pleasant in these night solitudes would be the rise and fall of a softer breathing than your own, the quiet throb of a purer heart imparting its peacefulness to your troubled one, as if the fond sleeper were involving you in their dream. Their influence is over you, though they have no existence but in that momentary image. You sink down in a flowery spot on the borders of sleep and wakefulness, while your thoughts rise before you in pictures, all disconnected yet all assimilated by a pervading gladsomeness and beauty. The wheeling of gorgeous squadrons that glitter in the sun is succeeded by the merriment of children round the door of a schoolhouse beneath the glimmering shadow of old trees at the corner of a rustic lane. You stand in the sunny rain of a summer shower and wander among the sunny trees of an autumnal wood and look upward at the brightest of all rainbows overarching the unbroken sheet of snow on the American side of Niagara. Your mind struggles pleasantly between the dancing radiance round the hearth of a young man and his recent bride and the twittering flight of birds in spring about their new-made nests. You feel the merry bonding of a ship before the breeze and watch the tuneful feet 
of young children as they twine their last and merriest dance in a splendid ballroom and find yourself in the brilliant circle of a crowded theater as the curtain falls over a light and airy scene. With an involuntary start, you seize hold on consciousness and prove yourself but half awake by running a doubtful parallel between human life and the hour which has now elapsed. In both, you emerge from mystery, pass through a vicissitude that you can but imperfectly control, and are borne onward to another mystery. Now comes the peal of the distant clock with fainter and fainter strokes as you plunge further into the wilderness of sleep. Your spirit has departed and strays like a free citizen among the people of a shadowy world, beholding strange sights, yet without wonder or dismay. So calm, perhaps, will be the final change, so undisturbed, as if among familiar things, the entrance of the soul to its eternal home. The End His words are almost like a meditation, almost like he understands, which I'm sure he did, as waking up in the middle of the night when it's dark. Sometimes our minds go in a lot of different directions, maybe fear, maybe worry. Maybe anxiety. All of the above. And it's hard in that moment to pull ourselves out of those thoughts. What I really like about the story is that he flipped the script. And tonight, when I wake up at 3.33, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll remind myself to think of happier things and practice gratitude for the things that I have and hopefully drift right back to sleeping and happy dreaming and I wish the same for all of you thank you so much for your support over the past year of the Fairy Sleepy Podcast I really appreciate it thank you for all the reviews and the comments and the subscriptions If this is your first time here, welcome. Thank you for joining, and I hope you'll join again. Tonight's story was a little bit different, only because I, like you, have been experiencing some trouble sleeping. And I want you to know I know how that feels. So I hope that this made you very, very sleepy. I'm Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy. Until next time, good night.